right, we're about one-third through the NBA season. And as I've said on every podcast to this point, just about everyone's hovering around 500, except for six teams that are at the top of the list. And we're going to talk about the one that's particularly underappreciated. What's up, guys? Spencer Davies, Ryan Fritz, bringing you another episode of Keep It at 94, part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. How are we doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. I was just looking at, you know, the standings when it comes to all the teams that are around 500. And I would say probably about what half the league right now. Yeah. <laughs> like literally you look at Philly, 18 and seven, Milwaukee, 16 and eight, Utah, best record in the league, 20 and five, LA Lakers, 19 and six Clippers, 17 and eight. The Suns, you could even say 14 and nine, they're five games. Every other team, I think there's like literally what? 12, 13 teams that are within three games of 500. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I mean you, you've got the bottom. That's both conferences too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you look at it right now, um, you know, the Golden State Warriors in the West, okay? The Warriors are right now the eighth seed at 13 and 12, okay? But there are one, two, three, four, five. There are six teams behind them, but only two games behind them within two games. That's ridiculous. So right. everybody in the West is still in it for at least the play on game, except for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. Like it's so hard to differentiate because there was some separation being made last week. And then, you know, everything pretty much we thought like was, the, you know, like set in stone and starting to, you know, actually turn into what those teams are either the, the ones that had a bad week, had a great week or the ones that had a great week, had a bad week. Like, like, like my perfect two examples are the Indiana Pacers who have fallen to 500 now and the New Orleans Pelicans who are within a game of being 500. Like that, that right there just shows that you don't know what the hell's going on this season. Be honest with yourself. Right. I mean, look, look at a team like the Houston Rockets who trade James Harden, go on a five-game winning streak, and now have fallen back. But that's because of injuries, because of you know Christian, Christian Wood, Victor yeah. Oladipo missing right. some games as well. But I mean, it's you're kind of all over the place. Look at the Cavaliers. The Cavs got out to a hot start. Then as of late, they haven't been playing as well. They've lost four in a row. They're back down to ten and fifteen. Right. You're right. It's unpredictable. We'll just go with that. Yes. Before we do get started, though, I did want to tell us, not tell us, we're on here, tell our audience to go and follow uh, our, our accounts on Twitter. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz. Uh, of course, we are part of the Basketball News Podcast Network, so make sure you go check that website out. As I said before, uh, we have 11 other great podcasts for you to listen to. You can find us at Keep It at 94. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. So check that out and then check our articles out on basketballnews.com. All right, Brian, let's start out with the most underappreciated team in the NBA. And they're finally getting a lot of talk. We've addressed them a couple of times. And I think you asked me, are they a contender or a pretender? Or we played some sort of game where I bought into them. And they are just ripping and roaring right now. And that's the Utah Jets. Coming off a win last night, a very... Solid, solid win over a healthy Boston Celtics team 
and it wasn't the final score was not indicative of what the game was i would say because the the jazz just took off in the fourth uh with with some good defense Kemba Walker struggled for the Celtics we had Jalen Brown return after missing a few games and he looked excellent but it was the defense of the Jazz and the ability of Donovan Mitchell to just pick up Mike Conley's playmaking load, dish out nine assists. Forget how many points he had, but I know it was like 36, 37. Yeah, 36. Yeah, it was it was a, just one hell of a game. And again, it was in crunch time when they just picked it up. And we've gone down the list. We know, you know how much that Bojan Bogdanovich is contributing. We know how well Rudy is playing on both sides. Rudy Gobert, that is. Uh, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench, doing his job. Royce O'Neal shooting a high clip. This is a team that gets up 42 threes a game and makes like 18 of them. So we're that's 25 games sample size. I feel like that is a time where you can figure that the Jazz are going to be at the very least in the top four in the West at the end of the season. But at the very best, could be two or three. Absolutely. And I think they figured some different things out from the beginning of the season. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of a different team, you know, when it comes to what they're doing, you know, on the court and kind of their roles. Just from the standpoint that I think, and this always takes time. There's always going to be a chemistry element. You never know how long it's going to take somebody to get to this point. But I think that this is a team that going, that, you know, as the season has progressed, has really kind of accepted their roles. You know, everybody knows what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be. I think everybody has accepted Donovan Mitchell is going to be our go-to guy. We know what we're going to get out of him every night. I think Gobert, in the role that he's had, especially after getting the big contract that he got, I think everybody's kind of really bought in and he's totally bought into what, you know, he is doing on the court, what he needs to be doing on the court. Because I think for a lot of people, especially after you get a big contract, there might be some expectation from fans and there might be some from even a player saying, well, now I've got to fill up the stats. I've got to do this, that, and the other, right? But he knows what his role on this team is. And I think we are seeing the best and probably most efficient Rudy Gobert that we've ever seen before. Bogdanovich being on this team now, that's obviously helping a lot. So um, I, I just think that this team has really found itself as the season has gone on. I know we're, we're still a little bit early. We're a third into the season, but just the way everybody has accepted their roles and the way that they can turn it on, especially defensively late in games, is really showed you like, hey, winning 16 of 17 is not a fluke. And this is a team that I really think is going to be there for the long haul. And I, I wanted to bring up a point about Rudy Gobert. I saw a tweet last night about the difference in the Jazz's defensive rating when he was off the court. I think I saw that their defensive rating was something like 130 or 135 points per 100 possessions when Rudy Gobert was on the bench. When he wasn't, that D rating was down in the you know low 100. And I mean that I, could be I, a problem. I, I don't though. Get, you don't want to depend on one guy so much. Right. But, but he is you, a guy that's going to play a lot of a minutes, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that Derek Favors is is better 
than you know what he shows there, but he doesn't quite have the you know he's six eight. I mean he's a, he's a burly dude, but he's six eight, so he's not exactly you know the best rim protector. He can you know hold his ground if someone wants to back him down, um, but he's not really the you know the 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 best uh, to deter shots. How about that? Yeah. I know he's averaging a block a game and he can block shots. Right. But I mean, but, he's, he's nowhere near the defensive press presence that Gobert is because it's, it's not just the block shots for Gobert. It's the chain shots. That's the thing I always look out for bigs, especially somebody like, um, and, Alter. and you know, Anthony Davis. Okay. Yeah. Or, or even, um, you know, Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee or some of these other big guys where you're saying going, Oh, look at the block shots. I'm like, it's not necessarily about block shots. It's how many shots are you changing once somebody tries to, you know, once somebody gets to the paint or even is it going to make people think twice about wanting to get too far into the paint? Are your arms up? That's all it is. You know, like, are your arms up? Are they out wide? Are you making a difference and forcing a deflection or forcing a block shot from the weak side that may not even be your own block, could be a teammate's block, you know? And that that's a huge part of it. Um, Remember, too, these Jazz, uh, doing it without Mike Conley. He's missed, he's missed the um, past couple games with a hamstring injury. Hopefully it's nothing serious because he's been having a tremendous season. And that's been a big part of what they've done this year as well. Is that Huge. They, Huge. They've got last year, we saw that trade and everybody's like, what happened to Mike Conley? His career is over. This happens to guys, you know, when they get to this age, sometimes he is suddenly boom, career is over. And you look at what he's done this year and he's been able to turn it around. Well, it's funny because when they came to Cleveland, I think it was last month, like before they even started taking off, taking off. I asked Quinn Snyder that I said, why does Mike Conley look so comfortable? He said, he's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you come to a brand new environment. You don't know, you have to get used to a system. You have to get used to your new team teammates. Remember Mike Conley was with Memphis for a long time. Oh yeah. Like the, the only place that he had ever played. I mean, how so, weird is it when you walk into a place and you're not familiar even where the locker room is, you're not familiar where, you know, anything in the building is at, it's a whole new environment. It's a whole new system. It's a whole new group of people that you're going to be around. And you're, you're banking on having to, to, you know, basically learn on the fly with a new team that you have to build chemistry with. I'm sure they respect you, but they don't know you know, where you're going to be, your spots. You don't know their spots, where they're going to be, you know, and, and timing with them. And it's a guy Th- that's going to have all- to take on a different role as well. Yeah. And, and it's, and, it, I, and there's plenty of people, there's plenty of players that, that move from team to team. Okay. But when it comes to Conley, I think it's a little bit different from the standpoint that his role and what he was doing with Memphis was going to be totally different here. And part of it was him accepting it and him being able to do it both physically and mentally and buying into everything. There was so many different elements. It wasn't just a simple, like, Oh, I'm shifting here to here. Or, um, you know, a veteran player going, I know that I don't have to do what I've done in the past. And I accept that role. I'm not saying that Conley didn't accept it, but I think, I think he was trying to do too much, you know, from what he had done and what he thought he was bringing to the table there, because people thought, Oh, this is going to be the difference maker. This is going to be the guy that gets us over the top. Now, you know, that makes Utah a legit contender. And that didn't happen last year. But and now I, I, I thought he showed that well in the bubble too, by the way, like once they got to the bubble, it looked like he was finally comfortable and yeah. then it just carried over to the season. Oh, absolutely. And 
they, like I said, they won 16 to 17. I mean, you, you can't deny how good this team is playing right now. I, I think the only, the only hiccup I would see on this team long-term is I think they still probably need one more part on the bench. There's, there's plenty of other teams that like that, that know that, or that they're probably in the same boat, but I mean, I, I think you have to take them very, very seriously that this is not just, oh, it's a, it's an early sampling sample size. It's early the season still. You know, I, I think when you, when I look at this team, I'm like, no, I think, I think there's still room for improvement. And I think we're still seeing that as time goes on. Yeah. Possible. Possible. All right. Let's talk about the team that's trailing them in the standings. We haven't uh, really latched on to your Lakers here, but we don't have to like spend a ton of time talking about the Lakers themselves. More about the King, LeBron James. Just he's turned into a jump shooter. Whenever you know the game's starting, and whenever it's you know a a situation where there's not a crunch time deal type of thing, uh, he's just confidently shooting the three. We talked about this a few weeks ago when he did the the three pointer and pointed it. Dennis Schroeder, uh, but it's not stopping. He's just continuously shooting these threes, uh, continuing to to really do his thing in the mid-range. The last few games, he's been without Anthony Davis, so he's been more aggressive. And when LeBron James is aggressive, it turns out to not be so great for the other team. And I don't know how many they've ripped off straight, but they look good, even though they're in these close games. They've won five in a row. Yeah, the, even though they're in these close games, they look good. They look sound. Well, I, I think that he's finding his shooters when he's driving and kicking. I think that he's going in and driving, uh, drawing fouls, finishing tough, making the big plays as he always has. But the, the reason I want to bring it up, and you, you, know, made, you made this note, is that this dude is two ways away from being in his 20th season. He's 36 years old. Call him 36-year-old locomotive. The ale train. It's still here. Still at the station. Still taking off. I have no idea how he does it. I don't know if anybody else is, you know, tired about hearing about it, but I'm sorry. If you just watched it, he's such a physical specimen to still be doing this at his age, at the level that he's doing it, is just absurd. His minutes were actually down up until recently. Yeah, it was like 32 minutes a game. And now he's up up at 34 and a half. And that's only because, and this is pathetic in some ways, but it just kind of shows you that they're a little bit on cruise control at this point in the season, is that two games ago, the Lakers had to go to double overtime to beat the Pistons at home. Feisty Pistons, by the way. Small note. And a a Pistons team that beat the Lakers, you know, in their previous meeting this season in Detroit. And that was a game without Anthony Davis. This time the Lakers did have Anthony, but um, you know, they went to double overtime and that was one of those where LeBron just said, okay, I've had enough of this crap. And he nailed two threes late in the game against uh, Mason Plumley and Mason Plumley. That poor dude got matched up against LeBron for the final two minutes of that game. And LeBron's and eyes were jumping out there. of his head. I was sitting there. I said, if you think this is the best guy that, you're going to put onto LeBron. No offense to Mason Plumlee. Mason Plumlee, by the way, had a great game um, on, on Tuesday night as we were recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, but he's looking around because they switched on him. I mean, the, Mason Plumlee's going, why are we switching this? And then he's sitting there and, Le, and the weird thing try is... Try Jeremy. Try, try Josh Jackson. I know, I know that they're slimmer. 
I know they have slimmer frames. He probably should have been Jeremy Grant. Okay, dude, but, dude, you know, you put put Isaiah Stewart on him. So, uh, anything else? The crazy but, thing but not is, Mason. I really wonder. No matter who was guarding LeBron, I think LeBron was going to shoot threes because all he did was he stayed out by the three point line, and he just kind of—I mean, he could go around Plumway if he wanted. But LeBron had his mind made up, like, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to dribble. I'm going to, you know, jab step. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to shoot a three. Yeah. And he put it away. He hit, you know, two threes in a row over Plumlee. And then you uh, fast forward to the next game at home against the Thunder. And no AD in that one. And the Lakers are just kind of cruising along, cruising along, cruising along. And they have, you know, looks like they're, they're actually down eight going into the fourth. And LeBron turns it up and then he's Feisty got a little bit thunder, of, feisty yeah, thunder. He's got dead legs, a little bit of dead legs at the end of regulation. He misses a shot to win it. And you could just kind of tell that he's so ticked off at himself. that He's like, I ain't losing this one. And they don't lose. They win. Um, you know, so his minutes are up a little bit, but I mean, favorite part of that game, by the way, not to interrupt you, but when he had the ball on the baseline, he noticed that Lou Dort was on him. And Lou Dort, we know he is the, the famed James Harden stopper in last year's playoff. And Lou Dort has had a tremendous season on, in his own right, uh, just improving as an offensive threat and keeping that tough-nosed personality on the defensive end. But he bodied up LeBron. LeBron did not bat an eye. He did not care. He didn't give one iota. This dude got the ball on the block. Lou Dort was all up on him, all up on him, physical, everything. And LeBron didn't try to even back him down. He held the ball for about one second, gave him a quick spin with the left shoulder, went baseline, dunked the ball with two hands. I watched that and started laughing. Dude, that, that's the old James Worthy on he didn't care. Rodman baseline move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did not care. He doesn't. And, and that's the thing is, like, LeBron just understands his body and his matchups so much. Like, Okay, this guy, yeah, he's bigger than me, but I'm going to shoot right over him, and I know what kind of range I need. This guy, yeah, it looks like he could body up me, but you know what? I know that come the end of the day, I'm stronger, and I'll take him down in the post. He knows he's so smart about the matchups now, and then you add to that that he's shooting 40% from three-point range, and not to get off on too much of a tangent, but you know, we talk about a guy that's 36 years old, that's in his 18th season, that has not missed a game yet this year that refuses to take time off, even though he's been playing with a little bit of a bad ankle, but he hasn't shown any of that whatsoever. And we see that he is still changing his game. Okay. From the standpoint that he's shooting better than he ever has before from deep while doing all the other great things that he does. I think this is one of the reasons why I'm a little bit disappointed in Giannis in that. Okay. What have you done to change your game from last year to this year? Because I don't think anything is different. He's still awesome. He's still dominant, but I haven't seen one particular thing in his game that's been improved on, but it's just incredible that LeBron has been able to do this. And on top of that, everybody's kind of wondered, like, we, we wanted this when the Lakers got AD. All right. LeBron can take a little bit of a back seat now. It could be, you know, AD can kind of lead the way and then LeBron can turn it on in spurts. Nope. He didn't do that. He led the way. What did it go into this year? Like, they've already won one. LeBron can start handing over the team a little bit more to AD. He'll put up the big numbers. Maybe he'll be an MVP candidate. Bron can watch his numbers, his minutes during the regular season and preserve himself for the playoffs. Maybe take a game off here and there during the season, especially on back-to-backs. Hell no, says LeBron. 
I'm leading the way. I'm still the leader of this team. I'm, I mean, him and AD have great chemistry and have a wonderful relationship. But, it, but LeBron's like, I don't want any part of that. I am here to play. And he does it every freaking night. You know what, Brian? Let's continue to talk about the big six. I like the the the, the role we're on here. I'm going to call them the big six because I already mentioned in the you know at the beginning that you know a lot of teams are hovering about above five around 500, except for a certain amount of teams. So let's go with the big six. We'll go. We'll just go by overall record. How about that? Um, so we've done Utah, we've done LA. By the way, forgot to mention uh, for the Lakers, Bruder, just absolutely a, a dog for that team against Thunder late. Just uh, defensive efforts against uh, some of his old buddies like Shea Gilgis Alexander and and Dort, just knowing where they were going to be and um, making some big plays for them down the stretch. But let's 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 head over to the Eastern Conference then. Let's talk about the 76ers, uh, 18 and seven, leading the Eastern Conference. And Joel Embiid, man, this guy, th- th- this guy looks like he's on a mission to me when I watch him. So, by the by. Uh, this is the last time we've checked in Sacramento Kings. They had won five straight <laughs> and they're, they were a game over 500. They lost on Tuesday night to the 76ers, uh, a very, which is a, a fine. That's an okay loss because they played their hearts out. They were due for a clunker and the Kings actually showed up and continued to play the way they have courtesy of De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox, by the way, the reigning Western conference player of the week, but the 76ers, this, this team is just on a, a roll. So when you look at the Sixers, you have to look at what Joel Embiid has done this year. So, Brian, I'm going to bring you a stat here that I think you're going to appreciate. So most guards in the league are the ones that have the isolation possession. Like, for example, James Harden and Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the top of the list uh, with 114 and 107 attempts, respectively. Luka Doncic after that, Damian Lillard after that, LeBron after that, De'Aaron Fox after that. So Joel Embiid has actually taken the 23rd most, uh, and he is the only big man in that list. If you're considered, I don't know if you consider Giannis Antetokounmpo a center. I don't. Um, but he's the only center in that list, and he has more isolation drives than Trey Young and Chris Paul at 53. So he's made 31 of those attempts. So he's 58% on isolation shots. So what I'm seeing is when I see these games is that he's going against these guys. He's got enough handle. He's able to shake defenders off. But what he's doing is he's pulling up. He has these pull-up 15-footers where he stops on a dime and he's fading away. Or he's fading away. Sorry, you can't stop on a dime. Unless your shot is fading away from the basket. But You'll see what I mean if you look at film. But he's actually 11th in the league with the, uh, the, the, uh, the isolation shots total, which to me is amazing for somebody his size and to have that control. And in those 11, by the way, he's taken the least amount of, of isolation shots. So he's at the top of the, the food chain with these isolations. And then you look at his impact on the defensive end how he's able to guard, you know, guard, guard, guard guards. Uh, when he's in a, a drop, he's able to, you know, deter shots, as we were talking about earlier with, with the Jazz and you got, uh, Rudy Gobert. Um, but offensively is really where he is just 
I don't know if you saw Tuesday night against the Kings, but when he got doubled late, he had some nice passes. There was a a beautiful like just laser to to Tobias Harris in the corner, and Harris converted. By the way, Harris, a, a, a guy that is on his own streak, and I believe we called that on this show last month. But my goodness, uh, Embiid just looks unstoppable. And I know people say that, oh, you know, LeBron deserves an MVP every year, which they have a you know legitimate argument. But to say that Joel Embiid isn't right there with him in that pole-to-pole matchup, you're kind of off to me because I, yeah. he looks ridiculous. I would agree. I think those are the top two guys right now when it comes to, you know, the MVP, you know, a third of the way into the season. The thing that gets me with Embiid that I think has frustrated me, but he's just shoving it back at my face, is that I've always been one of those guys that's been like, don't take a three. Just just don't. You know, I, I know you want to, but just just don't. Or don't don't take that pull up, you know, from 18 or 20 feet because you're so big, you could probably get closer to the rim. Like, just stay down in the post and just dominate. You know, put your butt in somebody's chest, take them to the rim, you know, get little short hooks, you know, little short jumpers or whatever. And I've always kind of thought that that's where he should, you know, put his game at. And instead, he's like, oh, I'll do that when I want. But I'll also do the 15 to 18 footers. I'll do a fadeaway. I'll pull up. I'll take a three. I'll take a guy, you know, off a dribble drive. I'll do all these different things. And he's done all of it this year. All of it. I all mean, he's it. shooting 55% <laughs> from the field. He's shooting 38% from the three-point line. He's getting to the free throw line over 11 times a game, and he's hitting over 85% of his shots. He's it's got ridiculous. a R of 30 one, he's averaging almost three assists per game, which doesn't sound like much, but for a center of his ilk, that's pretty good. And he's not like a traditional center, too, like where, you know, they're picking and rolling. Like, right. He, he's not really using that to his advantage. He's doing it on his own. He's and nice I think that, that's what's that's what's so dangerous about this guy. And when you have an offense like the Sixers where you know, you're not typically a transition team and you're more in the half court. That's that type of skill is just so important. Like to have somebody to be able to do it that way. So I'm just so high on, on Joel and bead man. Uh, and, and I'm not going to even, you know, go into, you know, how important Seth Curry is. Um, but he's been back ever since, you know, he dealt with COVID, uh, has it, White been himself, but also, you know, starting to ramp up that conditioning and, and, you know, come back like, I want to say last night, but Tuesday night, uh, Seth Curry, you know, finally had a a good game, 22 points, went four or six from three, um, and was big time down the stretch. Matisse Thibel, my God, did you see the defense that he played on De'Aaron Fox? One of the hottest players in the league, shut him down, man, just right in his grill. so that team's got a lot, lot of good going for it right now. Um, uh, do you have anything else to add? Well, to I mean, Sixers? when when they want to get, you know, when they want to get stops, they can get stops. I mean, they're giving up 110 points, you know, per game. But when they really want to clamp down between Embiid and Simmons, and they can put 
you know, Dybon on there as well. They can get those stops. Late in game. I mean, I, I would they're like a big to see them. team. They're big. Like, look at the size they have on their team. They're huge. I mean, like, it's it's not even just height wise. It's just like built dudes. Well, it's <laughs> I mean, you're big, strong guys that are very athletic. The wingspan is there. Um, even somebody like a Danny Green, who you wouldn't think of, but you know, Danny obviously doesn't move like he once did, but he knows how to play smart defense. You know, he knows, you know, there's, there's different things that Danny can do. He's not going to shut a guy down. But he's going to make it difficult for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, I mean, they're 18 and seven right now. And you know, that they're the best team in the East. I think they've looked like the best team in the East so far this season. I think they've looked better than the bucks. They definitely look better than the nets with all of their problems. Um, that have been, you know, everybody talks about with the nets who are just kind of a all over the place team that play down to their opponents or play up to the best teams. Um, and that's kind of where they're at right now. But the Sixers have looked fantastic, you know, since, you know, they've got Doc Rivers as coach and just kind of the way that they played this year. Um, I think they, they still got some room for improvement as well, especially like when it comes defensively that I don't want to just see it in spurts. I'd love to see it for an entire game. But, you know, when we talk about that end of the court, you know, Embiid right now, even if he's not the MVP, he's got to be top two, I think, in the conversation. But I think he's also right there for defensive player of the year. Yeah. I mean, the what's their record without him? Isn't it something like 0-4? I'd have four. to look it up, but yeah. I'll, it's, it's, something it's something like, like that. that. Yeah. That's, that should tell you all you need to know. Let's just, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, so that's the third best team in the league by record. Let's go to the fourth. The LA Clippers, who are 17 and 8. They are coming off of a loss to the King. But like I said, the Kings are hot right now. Uh, they've also been missing Patrick Beverly. Paul George went down with an injury uh, in his foot. foot uh, I don't know what it is, uh, but they're you know keeping a close eye on that. He's been day-to-day, has missed the last couple. Uh, we've talked at length on about the Clippers on this. But I particularly wanted to point out how brilliant uh, some of the 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 under under you know talked about guys have been, uh, and that's one Ivica Zubat, uh, one as a defender uh, that plays a huge role off the bench for them. Um, he's really good at finishing. He's really good at bending, uh, contesting shot. Uh, I think in the pick and roll game, he's starting to get a chemistry uh, with one Lou Williams, who, by the way, has started to find himself finally. Uh, and this is an opportunity because Patrick Beverly's been out and he had not been in the rotation as much. But Lou's starting to get it together, which is good to see because we know how good Lou can be. We, we, we've questioned about father time and all that, right? He's 34 years old, he's been in the league for you know, over 15 years like that, that can really, you know, take away the abilities of somebody like look, for example, at Jeff T Jeff Teague's just not, he doesn't have it this year. And it looks like he's closer to the end than he is to, you know, the beginning. Uh, Lou still has a little bit left. And I saw that uh, against the Cavs when they were in Cleveland. Um, I believe that I saw that against Boston. 
it's it's the way that he's getting to the line. It's the way that he's utilizing his pump fakes. You know, that pump fake over by the baseline where it looks like he's going to shoot it, but he never does. But rookies fall for it every time. Um, he's, he's getting back onto, onto that. And I think Ty Luke gave me a little uh, nugget actually when they were in Cleveland, you know, I asked him why, you know, Lou looked so much more comfortable and it's, he said it's, it was a substitution pattern instead of Reggie going in at the six minute mark, Lou went in at the six minute mark where he's used to and what he's been used to the last, you know, however long he's been with the Clippers. And that's an interesting nugget, isn't it? Like that, that a player has to get comfortable by, you know, just the environment he's in by what he's used to. Like if that's legitimately, you know, the reason for doing it, then, you know, kudos to Ty Lue for knowing that to get his players, you know, in a comfortable spot. I think the Clippers are kind of this anomaly in that I think they're going to be a really good regular season team but I think there's still plenty of work that this team has when it comes to, are they going to get defensive stops at the right time? Um, Which guys are they going to go with on their final five? Um, Still having to give Reggie Jackson a lot of minutes, I think is a problem just because. Well, that's just probably because of Lou uh, right now. And he's playing hot Reggie Jackson. I mean, they're a team. They, they still need some other parts. I mean, we've talked about this before. They they need somebody else in that point guard position. I think they could probably use that. And maybe they could use another big as well. But I mean, when you have Wide Leonard and you have Paul George, I mean, you should have a, reg, a at least a very good regular season record. And Kawhi is a guy that, once again, kind of under the radar. We're not talking about a lot, but he's having another terrific season and probably is, you know, a top five, top six MVP guy. Right now, I think, you know, having, um, you know, Marcus Morris coming back, you know, and he's starting to round into shape that that's definitely helped them as well. Um, but I, I heard the stat, you know, as good as their offense has been for the most part this season. And, you know, they're putting up right now, they're putting up almost 115 points a game. Brian Windhorst had the stat that said, when you talk about clutch points, no mind you clutch points are only like how many clutch games of a lot of teams played him. Probably not that much this year, so it's been a small sample size. I thought but, clutch points was the people that put out those crazy graphics. Well, there's that too. Um, <laughs> but when you talk about the, when you bring down like the advanced stats and you get to clutch points, that the Clippers rank 30th out of 30 teams right now when it comes to clutch points. Now, like I said, it's a very small sample size. So they're not playing in close. So they're either blowing their opponents out because of what their record is, or when they're in those types of games, they don't win the close. Correct. Thing. Yes. Okay that they have a hard time really generating offense late in games when it's bogged down. And when they need a bucket in the half court. Yes. Okay. All right. That's something to keep an eye on. Then I happen to to disagree with the point that they need another point guard per se, because they have a playmaker and his name is Paul George. And that's who is basically the de facto backup point guard. Yes. But I mean, I need somebody that's a little bit more consistent out of that position. Fair. I guess we'll see if they go and deal for George Hill. We'll see. Well, I mean, that, that's the guy that everybody talks about. I mean, there was some talk before he got traded that Derek Rose might be a fit there, but obviously that didn't happen, and now he's a member of the Knicks. Yep, he's attached to Tibbs' side. But I will say with this Clippers team, they're still number one in the league in three-point percentage. They're still firing them up and uh, still hitting them at a ridiculous rate. And I Don't saw that firsthand, gonna... by the way. 
Don't you think <laughs> fall back to earth a little bit? It should. I mean, look what happened with the Lakers. I mean, how long we were talking about KCP and Caruso being one and two in the league. Oh she, yeah. That's definitely falling back. That it's has like, fallen. KCP has... for whatever reason over like the last three weeks went from a guy that was like one of the hottest shooters in the league. And he's still like sixth or seventh in three point shooting. But, that has but he's fallen. Only getting You're like, not wrong. <laughs> he's only getting like four or five shots a game now for whatever reason. It's just like, they're not finding him. And I, I don't know if that's more teams are kind of, hunkering down on him when he runs to those the corners or what's going on there, but he's just not getting shots lately. Interesting. Interesting. But no, I mean, it's obviously going to probably come back down. Probably, um, but, but you never know. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to be a top five team in three-point shooting because no, they've they proven be. they can do that. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. Um, let's go on to number, what is it, five? Number four? Which one? We're, we're, we're on at number, number six. No, we're not. No, no, no. Five, 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 five. Yeah. Number five, Milwaukee Bucks. Another team I got to see up close and personal. Cleveland. Uh, you like getting up and close and personal with the left. With the good, with the good teams, Brian, with the good teams. Oh, I yeah, have not gone yeah. to games such as the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have not gone games that are well, not the top prima donna you are, man. It's cold in Cleveland, Brian. If you're going to get me out of my damn house. It better be uh, for a good reason. Because right now, played indoors, right now right? it is it is nine degrees outside of my house right now, Brian. Okay, but the games are played indoors, right? They are. So when you watch the game, you're indoors, right? Do but you, it's does, still does cold. Your, does the your process car have of getting there heat? is cold? Does your car have working heat? My car's tires are probably flatter than than than. That's the not the question I have. Does the heat work in your car? It does. Okay, so how long are you exposed to the elements? What's for, the difference? For a combined 10 minutes, like five minutes walking to the car, five the, minutes walking back to the car. It's legitimately just because of the comfort of covering a game in my own home. I don't get any locker room access, you know, below the, the floor. Right. It's not, there's nothing different. The only thing is, hey, if you want to see a game live and, and see it in person, sure. Then I'll, so you want to eat there. from your five gallon jug of, uh, you know, Cheetos and sit around in your underwear to watch no games rather than going. No Cheetos, hummus, Brian, hummus. Get it right. Hummus, hummus. Get it right. I, th I thought you had the big thing of like the cheese balls that you get. Like, oh no, 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 no. We don't do that anymore. That was only in college. <laughs> only in college. But the Bucks, man. Uh, so a lot of people are like, you know, kind of, I guess, uh, like exhausted or kind of tired of or just kind of meh with the Bucks right now. Uh, I know that uh, Eric Name did a really good piece on their defense and and how teams have started to attack them, like so much so uh, with the three point ball. Um, if if you want to really, you know, dig into that, because of the drop coverage that they use, Brooke Lopez, you know, traditional drop coverage, uh, uh, just to make sure that no one gets into the paint. Problem is. When they're playing these teams, they are allowing a lot of threes to get up. And it was especially relevant when you look at a team like Cleveland, who got up 10 threes against the Clippers, and before that had gotten up 15 threes against their previous opponent. They came in and shot total over a two-game span, 60 threes against the Bucks. That doesn't matter because they, they weren't making them, not really. But... Uh, something to keep an eye on, especially when you look at just from a matchups perspective, how teams attack the Bucks. Now we know that offense can do everything. Giannis 
Middleton right now, I think, is averaging a career high in assists. Um, very underappreciated player uh, as a playmaker and as a scorer. Dante DiVincenzo, I think we need to give him his flowers because that dude's making an impact on both sides of the ball. Haven't even addressed Drew Holiday, the new guy of the bunch, who makes such a huge difference just from a perspective of bringing more veteran experience, going to help them huge in the playoffs. He's played better than even I expected, I think. Just kind of, I, I knew that he would fit there. He's kind of a glue guy where he's he an goes. easy guy to just kind of slide into whatever situation. He's not somebody that I feel like takes a while to adjust. Like, Maybe offensively, he's a little bit um, inconsistent when he's the, you know, quote unquote, the guy of, of the team. But he's like never he was in New Orleans. Right. But, but I mean, when he, he has this role. Yeah. Yeah. When he has this role as the third guy, while you're just telling him to focus on making plays for others, get others involved, you know, he's still shooting make 50% the, from the field. Yeah. You know, make the you know occasional shot then sure, that's a perfect role for Drew. And that, Drew knows what he's doing. I mean, as much questions, there's many questions I had about this team, especially early on. And I, and I was not a big fan of kind of the roster going into the season. And they kind of, they, I get, I, you could say struggled, but we're kind of finding themselves. I, I think that they're starting to hit their stride now. But the guy that I had a lot of questions about that's really impressed and is Showing up to be like their number four guy, I guess you could say, would be Bobby Portis. That's Portis, right. He's Did you read the article, runner. Brian? Did you yes, read, the, I read article. the article? I read the All article. All right, let's plug that. Bobby Portis, the spark plug of the Bucks. Go read it on basketballnews.com, courtesy of your boy. He's played great. You know, I mean, I had so many questions about him, but I mean, you look at him right now, he's, you know, 11 points over seven rebounds, and he's, he's fit in very well. And I, I didn't know what Bobby Portis would actually bring to this team. So he's, he was kind of my question mark, but he's played better. I still think there's some questions about the bench. Um, and, and they could obviously still use another piece. I think part of this is just Giannis getting better um, when it comes to he's, he's got to become a better jump shooter. And he's got to be a guy that when you get down in these crunch moments of games that he has, he, you can't just build the wall and stop him he's going to be able to find a way to get around that where either he's going to get a bucket or he's going to find an easy look for somebody else. But I mean, that being said, they're still one of the best teams in the East. And I think they're finally starting to play better basketball after they kind of just slogged through the first you know, third of the season. Brian, they don't need another piece. And I'll tell you why the guy who missed most of the, the, the season up until the last week or so, a um, couple weeks, sorry, uh, Tory Craig. Coming right back into the rotation, um, made his debut on the 24th against Atlanta. This is somebody who, or sorry, didn't make his debut there. Sorry, he made his debut on Christmas, but then he broke his nose. My bad. Right. Um, but somebody who was a huge difference maker for the Denver Nuggets. Um, more, more so on the defensive side of the ball. You know, think of a, you, honestly, his mirror image is basically like a Royce O'Neal type. Uh, where he'll guard your best player. He will hit timely threes and he will lock up and he makes a difference, man. He he is a huge difference maker on the court, on the court without having to touch the ball. 
that right there is, is somebody that they can use. Uh, had a nice revenge game against his Nuggets, his former Nuggets, I should say, um, over the weekend. Uh, or not over the weekend. I think that was Monday. My bad. I'm, I'm getting my days mixed up. It's not easy to keep track of them, guys. That's because you're staying at home watching all these games in your underwear. <laughs> so that's cheese balls. That's, that's how you're going to tie it back. But he had nine <laughs> points, uh, you know, grabbed five boards. Uh, but really, uh, just a, a big time difference maker in, in just being able to guard, you know, a guy like Jamal Murray, uh, Will Barton, uh, you know, these guys that are, you know, trying to attack off the dribble and did a really nice job on those guys. Uh, and again, that's someone you could throw in, play 20 minutes, uh, even more if you need to. That's somebody who Michael Malone loved, by the way, uh, to, to give you these minutes that you know he's going to soak up, you know, every single one of them and, and give you 120%. So that, I think, could be the, the quote-unquote new guy that you were looking for, Bri. Um, well, he could be. I, I just want to see some more consistency out of some of the guys in the backcourt. Bryn, I, Bryn I, Forbes, I, I will say, was ice cold against the Cavs. Yeah. Like um, Pat, Pat Coddington has struggled so far this year as well. So they, they need a little bit more help, I think, when it comes to you know the backcourt or wing players. I like DJ Augustine, though. And if DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis are running that, and you know that Chris Middleton runs with that bench unit, and it's perfect, I, I don't need an extra guy. So... But, that's but, two take. That's two takes that I've disagreed with you on. <laughs> well, well, DJ, I think has struggled though so far this year, and you know, I, I mean, he's playing a different role than obviously we saw the last couple of years with him with the Orlando Magic. But you know, I, I, I need a little bit more from him. I'd like to see a little bit more from Brook Lopez, quite honestly, as well. Brook is an interesting uh, one because he's not shooting three quite as well as he was. Um, that's another one that you have to look at, saying okay, he's getting a little bit up there in age, a little bit. Not that that's going to really affect shooting a basketball, um, but even tired legs, maybe, yeah. you know, could could be, you know, playing a role into that one. But I mean, for Milwaukee, I mean, they're putting up the most points of any team in the league. They're putting up over 121 points. They have the biggest differential in the league right now, basically 10. OK, but they're giving up over 111. And it's like, OK, so that's where we need to improve. To me, it's. Okay, there's still more work to be done on the defensive side. And I'm mistaken, by the way. My bad on the Brooke Lopez thing. He's actually shooting better than he did last year. He shot 31% from the arc last year. He it doesn't feel like he is, though. This year? Um, no, it, it doesn't. So that's just one that uh, kind of you know fails my eye test there. Uh, but I, I guess they could get him a little bit more aggressive, maybe. But at the same time, I'm, I'm looking at the last five games that the Bucks have played. And their average margin of victory is ridiculous. They, they won. They won against Portland by twenty-eight. They won in India against Indiana by twenty. Beat Cleveland by eighteen and twenty-five on the road, and then beat Denver by thirteen on the road. Right, which so, is for all my gripe and like I said, I go there. They're finally starting to you know pick up the pace here. Yeah, the, their margin of victory is ridiculous. So, sorry about that note on Brooke Lopez, guys. I I just I, I guess I was wrong on that one. But I, I don't think that they need anybody else. I just think that they need to prove it in the playoffs, and that's all that – I feel like tinkering isn't going to do anything. How's that? I, can, uh, I mean, it kind of feels like – And know, I mentioned Forbes being cold in Cleveland, by the way. He's scored 15 and 18 in the last two. Yeah. So I mean, Milwaukee, we knew they are going to be one of the best teams this year. It's just like, okay, we know what you got. So what you have right now, how is that going to get better? Like That's almost like the same question they asked of the, of the Jazz, right? 
for yeah, the exactly. I mean, the Jazz are basically the same team. I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers made a lot of changes, but I mean, the the core is still there. I mean, the Celtics, they're the same yeah. team. I yeah. mean, but what are you going to do different? All right, let's wrap up the top six talk. Talk about the Phoenix Suns, fourteen and nine. So they're kind of back on the come up a little bit here. Uh, they were without Chris Paul last game, but they've won three in a row. Uh, they, the, the schedule really hasn't been, you know, extremely tough, but they have won six of seven. Uh, Devin Booker really uh, comes into his playmaking mode when Chris Paul is out. Um, by the way, these sons are, are facing some major injuries right now. Um, they're missing like five rotational players, something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go down the list. I mean, uh, you know, campaign after he had a, a good start has been out with a foot injury for a good chunk of games. Dario Saric, somebody who's playing really well off the bench, been out. Uh, Jay Crowder also has been out. And it's all it's all these weird injuries, too. It's like, you know, randomly stepping on someone's foot or just turning an ankle like randomly. Uh, Abdul Nader, somebody who's been been OK off the bench as well. Ankle injury. All these are very similar in the, the way that they occurred. And it's just kind of a, a string of bad luck. It is. But think, yeah, go ahead. What I was going to say, though, I mean, they play at such a slow pace, such a deliberate pace. It's kind of like this throwback style compared to you know the rest of the league right now that they, they were able to keep themselves in games. And Chris Paul controls so much when it comes to the pace of these games. and then. You've got a guy like Mikael Bridges, who is having a tremendous year on both sides of the ball that I think has been such a great compliment. You mentioned, you know, the the chemistry between Chris Paul and Devin Booker and kind of how the stats are showing that, like, when Chris is playing, but Devin doesn't play, then they're good. When Booker plays, but Chris doesn't play, then they're good. But when they play together, they haven't been at their best, which is, you know, I guess it's both good and bad in that it's kind of, you got to find that, you know, you got to find that. I mean, you, you obviously want to win games and everything, but at the same time, it's kind of like, is that something that's going to work its way out? Like, okay, we're still early on in this process. They still haven't played 20 games together. Sure. So I I think that's, that's the way I would still look at it because I don't think we have a big enough, um, you know, sample size. Like, tell me what happens with this after they get to 50 games, 55. Right. Right. And what, DeAndre Ayton, are you going to get every night? That's another. Who is so up and down. I cannot figure him out. It's like he, he, he goes through times he plays like a guard yeah. and he just takes jumpers. And then there's others where he asserts himself, uses his size because he is a big man and goes and dunks the ball. Like, I, I, I can't really figure him out right now. Um, and I think that, again, is going to come with time. I think playing with Chris is going to really benefit him. He's going to tell him where to go in his spots. and. And also, you know, to utilize your strength, utilize those big shoulders. He's dunk the ball because he, you can see the potential there. You can see the skill. It's just, it feels like every week he changes what he wants his game to be. It's like, are you going to show up and play hard and play to your strengths? Or are you going to change it up? And sometimes you're playing hard. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're trying to do this rather than doing that. And it's just like, figure out your game. I've got no problem with this, but every time I see him in a game, it's a pass to the to the left block, to the right block, whatever it may be. Maybe it's to the nail. Um, he, you know, he has it like 
he's going to back down an opponent, but he twists his shoulders and then immediately fires a shot. Uh, sometimes that's okay. If you got to go and go for it. I've got no problem with the mid-range. You no gripes for me. I'm not like an analytical, you know, by the book guy. But in certain situations, if you have the advantage on a smaller opponent or on somebody that you think you can beat one-on-one because he is agile, then do it. Try to draw a foul. Something. He's averaging 2.4 free throw attempts per game. That for a big man, ridiculous. that's ridiculous. That, it's absolutely ridiculous. You need to get to the line if you're a big guy. You know, point blank, period. Uh, somebody, on the other hand, who I think is not getting enough love, we've already addressed Mikel Bridges. And by the way, another cheap plug for you guys. Mikel Bridges, one-on-one on basketballnews.com. We had an excellent, excellent talk. Uh, you know, oh, I, that was probably a month ago now, just the way that time's flying. But uh, he was talking about how he wanted to be a complete player. And he is showing that over the last few games, uh, maybe even after over the last week, if you watch him, he is not just a catch and shoot guy. This is somebody who is putting the ball on the floor, getting to the mid post, hitting mid rangers because that area is just so easy for him. Monty Williams, when I asked him the question about him being more than a 3D player, called him 3D plus actually. Bridges, he, he said he wants to get him into the, to the post more if he's got a smaller guy on him because Mikel plays the, the three position. So if there's someone smaller, if there's a three guard lineup in there, he could just take advantage of the matchup mouse of the house, shoot right over the top. Something Mikel I think has also gotten better at is um, playing in transition, finding his teammates uh, in the half court. I think he's just had a, a tremendous season and I've used tremendous like three times this, this podcast. So please get me a better vocabulary, but <laughs> um it really has been impressive. And he's somebody that everyone is showing love, but someone who's not showing really getting that much love, I feel is Cameron Johnson. And he's been yanked in and out of the starting lineup this year. Um, it's, it, he's finally, you know, found that role coming off the bench. They're starting Frank Kaminsky now, by the way, uh, at the four position. So make of that what you will, which by the way, Frank's, held his own I'd say uh, I, I think he's been okay um, but bringing Cam off the bench there's something about when he's with that unit that he just feels a little bit more confident in now get this he is one of the best catch shooters uh, in the league he's actually taking a ton of catch shooters and Brian uh, you know what, what do you feel about his ability to catch and shoot if you have watched Suns game I don't know how much Suns you've watched uh, but I feel like they're finding him in these corners and he's just knocking them down. He is. And that's the one thing that they need from him. Like run to the corner, get your shot, knock it down. I mean, how many teams, I mean, it seems like every team has one of those guys. He leads the league in, in catch and shoot opportunities, by the way, sure. 99, 99 of them, according to Instat, and he's shooting 41% on those. And that's a pretty damn good clip. That's a good clip. I mean, by the way, Bridges, Bridges is third in the league, by the way, in catch and shoot opportunities uh, with 94 and he's knocking down 39%, both yeah. very respectable numbers. Right. But I mean, you get down to it with this team right now, they got to get through the injuries. They've got to find chemistry between Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And you've got to get to a better spot where you're sitting there going, you know, Frank Kaminsky, he's starting and he's been okay. I don't know if that's exactly. He almost had a triple double be. last week. I was, I was rooting for that so hard. 
Nothing against Frank, but that's not that was what like, he want to be. It's just like that was what? like his first. That was like his first. Um, you know, big game. Uh, right. Shoot, I'm losing track of time again, Brian. What I'm saying. It was the 28th against the Warriors. Okay. And it wasn't in a start, but off the bench, he had 12 points, 13 rebounds, and eight assists. There you go. But that's off the bench, and that's great. I mean, that's that's what you want out of Frank. Right, but he's been playing 20 minutes a game the last three that he started. Yeah. Crazy. Good for him, man. We know what he could do in college. I watched him. I mean, I watched this, Big Ten basketball. This team really misses Sarek. I mean, flat out. I mean, they, they, they were really starting to get something out of him and some real chemistry when he came to the bubble last year. And to not have him on the court uh, for hardly any of the season has really, really hurt this team. I mean, it's, and it's the, a, the good thing is if it's hurting them that bad and they're still winning six out of seven and winning three in a row, that's a great sign, isn't it? It is that between that. And like I said, if, if CP three and Booker get on the same page, you know, where they're, you know, working in tandem and they're playing great ball together. Um, and the team is winning and you get Sarge back and he's playing like he did at the bubble and you get Crowder back, you know, and everything that he's going to bring to the table as a glue guy, there, there's still plenty of potential for this team to, to grow and get better. There is, there is. All right. That was our top six. I, I feel like uh, going through those was a good idea just because that's the, the, the best going in the league right now. Can I point this out though? Isn't it amazing when you talk about the top six and there is a team in the Eastern conference that has three of the best offensive players in the league on it. Oh, and God. you're not saying top six. We're okay. We're going to leave that for the next episode because I can only talk so much Nets. I can only talk so much. I, I agree with you. The I don't only, want, the, I, you the know, only but, thing that I will say is I think it's kind of weak for, for Kyrie to start saying, Oh, the world's against us. The officials are against us. We got our best player pull because of COVID protocols. We're the only team this happens. No, no, stop it. When you're playing against bad teams, play defense. And play every defense. time that there is a timeout and everybody's going up to one another with bewildered looks and pointing like, no, you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to be there. And why weren't you there? And you're supposed to be there. And, you know, and, and you're going to lose my double digits time. to the Detroit Pistons. That's a problem. That's on you guys because you're not playing good enough defense and you don't know where to be. I'm like, get on the same page. The Pistons are the worst team in the league. In field goal percentage. They shot 56% against the Pistons on Tuesday night. And they shot 44% from deep. The weird thing no, is. No, just play defense. The Put a body are, in the paint. They're so bad against bad teams. But when they play against good teams, they ramp it up. It, yeah, probably. They Something do like that. They they do. I mean, they they play good against good teams. Yeah, it's just like you. We're getting too we're getting too deep, Brian. We gotta I leave know. it. We gotta leave it be. We gotta leave it be. <laughs> Damn, it's gonna just start. It's gonna start. It's gonna they're start frustrating as hell because you see, like, you got these three guys on this team, and you're like, there's no way in hell that. By the way, they can't stop them when it comes down to like playoff basketball or clutch time with these three guys, and then you sit there and go, well, yeah, but they can't get a stop. Those three, by the way, have only played a hundred twenty something minutes together. Yeah, but something that being of, said, I, I don't want Kevin Durant to be my defensive anchor. Well, he's gonna be. He's gonna have to, and they're gonna have to play small at this rate until they find somebody. Three last night, Nerlens Noel is right across the bridge. Let's go get him. It's too bad they don't five have million a dollar contract. Like Jared Allen. 
Oh, wait, I said that last week. You did. <laughs> I guess we can just make that the bit. Javel McGee's <laughs> available, guys. Hey, good for you. You got Noel Vonley. Hopefully, I, I, and I root for guys like Joe, Noel Vonley because he's somebody who was picked high, hasn't, hadn't really panned out. He found a really nice uh, home with New York and then just kind of got pushed out. Played well for the, you know, different, different teams that he's been a part of. Just hasn't been able to put it together, you know, all together and find and, and stay in a consistent role. So that's someone I root for. Uh, but I don't think he's the answer. I think your answer is to just play hard. Defend teams every night. I'm sorry that you can't do it every night because you can take nights off. Whatever. Okay, let's get into this uh, All-Star game. We'll get into a little bit of news and then we'll get out of here. So, All-Star game. This is a proposed deal between the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association led by Chris, uh, President Chris Paul, that there will be an all-star game. Granted, this gets signed this week. Watch, it's going to happen while we're recording this. Or Probably. something funky is going to happen while we're recording this. Uh, I don't know about the logistics too much, other than they're, they're going to keep the same protocols as they had all season, uh, if it does happen in Atlanta, by the way. Uh, March 5th through 10th is supposed to be the break. Way to crack your voice there, Spence. Um, what, okay, let's just get your thoughts on this first because I've actually provided my thoughts on this uh, in an article. Well, it wasn't my thoughts. It was actually the players' thoughts um, just when they were first asked about a potential All-Star game in Atlanta. Let, let's get your thoughts first and then I'll say my piece. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm on the same page. When it comes to LeBron, when he said, why are we even doing this? I know that, that Harden and Giannis are two of the other bigger names around the league that have said the same thing and don't agree with playing it. But that being said, um, I'm quoting another player in Kawhi Leonard. He knows exactly what's going on. You can tell that Kawhi's not a big fan of it, but he says, hey, we know this is about money. And when you look at it, it's it's not about the top players necessarily. It's about the money that, you know, gets made from this game when it comes to Turner and everybody else, which is 30 to $60 million, depending on different things. And that's money. That's going to be some of that's going to be turned around and, you know, goes in the players pockets. Um, and there's, like I said, it's not just about the star players. It's about the, you know, other 400 players. Um, and plenty of them are making, you know, minimum amounts. Uh, when it comes to salary in the NBA. So it is what it is from that standpoint. We, we all know why. And I think it's a bad decision. I don't think it's a smart decision to play this game. Um, I think it's an unnecessary risk, especially if you keep the game in Atlanta, which has been allowing fans. And I would hope that even if they do play this game, and if it's in Atlanta, they don't have fans. But Atlanta overall as a city has been a hot zone when it comes uh, to the pandemic. and. I think it's it's an unnecessary risk to play the game, but if you feel like you have to do it because of the financial ramifications of it, then you need to find someplace else to play the game. And is that fair to the city of Atlanta? No, but at the same time, I don't know what the city of Atlanta is getting out of this because it's not like you're going to have fans flocking there um, from all around the country. It's not like you're bringing in all this extra money to um, the local economy there. 
So I think it's easy enough to, to move it, play it someplace else that you think is going to be safer. Do not allow fans. Um, and just make sure it's, you're getting the money out of it from what you expect when it comes to the TV, right? Um, from that standpoint, I get it. Just, if you have to go for that, just don't take the unnecessary risks of keeping it in Atlanta and definitely don't have fans. See, I think that they're going to have fans though, because what is, what is all-star weekend without an, an aura or an environment? I get that. And I know they want to crunch everything into one night. It's going to be, you know, they're going to do a slam. Just don't give them courtside seats. Do not give them courtside. <laughs> we do need not see courtside carry Karen there as well. Um, but it's just like when it gets down to this, what is the all-star game? It's an exhibition. Are we really going to jeopardize the player's health? Are we really going to take a kind of a big risk for an exhibition game? I mean, with everything that's going on during this stretch or during the season, when you're trying to go through a pandemic and there's plenty of players and I know, woe is me players, you know, they get paid a ton of money and Oh, so there's, but they're still traveling around from city to city. They're taking those risks when they go and play on the road right now, everybody is staying in their hotel room. They're not going to visit friends. They're not going to visit family, or at least they're not supposed to be. And they're not supposed to have people visiting them as well. So, it, it's going to take a mental toll, you know, on you. And like I said, I know the whole woe is me argument. This is what they get paid to do. And they understand that as well. But to have that break right there during the middle of the season, I think would be good physically, mentally for everybody. And then the risks they get involved, you know, in, in playing this game. But it it is, you know, something big financially for the league. It is something that they want to put out there on TV. It is something that is for the fans. I, I mean. I just look at, I have a different perspective from it. I'm like, if you play the all-star game, cool. If you don't, I don't care. It's kind of like with the NFL, like you can still be named. But isn't that, isn't that an argument though for, for the all-star game period? It's not just the season. Oh, absolutely. Especially in the middle of the season. Well, well that's, that's what I'm saying though. I feel like that we're just kind of, you know, drifting towards, do we have an all-star game at all? Like, like even if it's not a pandemic, like, which I, I feel like is a, is a wrong, you know, not the right route to go, but it, let, let me say my, my piece. Well, on I'll one. say this real quick though. When you talk about that point, yeah, I'm for them doing the all-star weekend and everything. I would like to see that stretched out to where everybody has a little bit more time off because there's going to okay. be some guys that don't go to the festivities or not part of it, whether it's three point or, you know, um, Dunk know, contest, dunk contest, all, all those different things, or, or even yeah. in the game, right? Or some people yeah. just want to be there for it. But I mean, I, I would like it to just give everybody a little bit longer of a break, you know, during the season because that that is a great time for people. Like, I need to recharge, or I've you know I've had this nagging injury or whatever, and that and that that week, if you if you extended it to even like a week and a half, you know, that gives everybody that that little extra bump to kind of get ready for the rest of the season. And that's the point I wanted to hammer on. I feel like that is what the players are feeling most betrayed by. It's almost like a rule for, for, for thee, but not for me type of deal that the NBA is doing here. As these players expected a break, a week-long break, they're going to get a week of time. Think about that. Only a week that you can spend with your family and friends. Like That, that mental portion of it is so important. I, I feel like they're more angry that Whoever is elected to this all-star game, if it happens, because it's still not official, that those 
particular players aren't going to get as much time with their loved one as they thought they were going to get. Now, from the, the, the financial perspective, yes, you, you hit, it, hit it on the head. They know that what this is about. Right? But I think from, from their point of view, the fact that they were told, at least according to LeBron, that they were told that there was not going to be an all-star game in this particular season, that they went back on their promise. And by the way, this is not just the NBA people. This is the Players Association who is also negotiating this. So think about it from that. Not everyone is on the same page. Not everyone has the same opinion. Chris Paul was asked about it the other day. And he basically said a lot without saying a little, by saying a little. Chris Paul wants to do this to benefit HBCUs. He wants to do this to benefit COVID relief. I understand that. Guys like Colin Sexton, they're all about it. He wants to go there. That also makes sense because he's, he'd be in his hometown. Damian Lillard gave the most measured response you could possibly give uh, on Tuesday night. Can I read the whole quote, Brian? Please do. Okay. This is what Damian Lillard said in response to the NBA having an all-star game. A lot of players are saying, why are we even having a game? And I understand that. If I said we're not going to have a game, I'd be perfectly fine with it. I just had two newborns, and I would love to spend that extra time at home with my family. My fiance went through a lot delivering two kids, so I'm sure she'd love to have that extra time at me at home. And the same with Dame Jr. and the rest of my family that I haven't been able to see because we've been under these strict protocols. But if they say we're going to do it, I understand that because this is our job. And I understand with the kind of money we make, you've got to make sacrifices and certain things just have to be done. Obviously, for that event, TNT or whoever is going to want the show to go on. There's repercussions for us not doing that. It could be something negative for us not going along with that. If that's what we're going to do, I'm with it. But if we're not, I'm fine with that too. That's the most measured response I've heard to anything of this. Like Chris Paul said, guys are going to have emotions about it. And I understand because when you have protocols that you're putting in, these extra strict protocols where you literally can't see anybody except for probably your team and your coaching staff. And when you're on the road, you can't go outside basically. Yeah, I'm going to be mad. Aaron Fox, like what he, what he said, if there's an all-star game, he's a honest with you, be honest with you. I think it's stupid. LeBron says zero energy, zero, you know, you know, uh, excitement for the game. I, I, I get it. So that side, I get it. Uh, the other side is then get on the same page with, with everybody in the, the, the association, because they're the ones negotiating this. Um, it's not, not a one prong issue. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think LeBron, you know, when he made his statement, he it probably caught him off guard. Well, he disagrees with them playing, but at the same time, he even said, if I get voted to the team, I will be there. Now, he said, I might not be there in mind or spirit. He goes, but I will physically be there. And yeah, I and think by that the that's way, the Dame, of some other people. Yeah, and by the way, Dame, by, by saying that, I'm not trying to, you know, defend the NBA in any way. I'm just saying that Dame understands the the situations here. And by the way, I think, I think somewhere in the CBA that there's a bonus if you play an all-star game. And secondly, Chris Paul has fought to get these players vacation time. If they don't make the game, they're not allowed to travel outside of the, the country, but you can go to the Virgin islands. You can go to the, you, you know, uh, you can go to Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Like, like you can go to all these places and he, that's part of the ne negotiations that he was having. 
So that's what the confusion lays with me is are they really all that caught off guard? Because publicly, it seems like none of these guys know what's going on. Well, I think before the season started, I think people had the idea that. Like I said, they probably feel betrayed. Right. Uh, Well, I think they thought like, okay, we can be named to an all-star team, but we're not going to play an all-star game. And then as everything went on and, you know, we, we've had some problems, obviously, where some people have tested positive, but it's gotten better as of late, as the season has gone on. And I think they said, you know what? We can do this. We can pull this off. And I think a lot of people are like, what do you mean? Like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, I understand we want to play a season and we're doing every precaution to go along with that. But why are we going to take this step to play an, an exhibition game? Exhibition game. That is that is what you, you're continuing to harp on. And I agree with you. I'm um, like Duke from Rocky. <laughs> this is supposed to be an exhibition. <laughs> See, I, I'm not too young to get that reference. So that's good. I appreciate this, this time. This time I got you. I got you. on. That I love one. me some Duke. I love Duke. But but again, it comes back to these 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 protocols have been very very to the book and have been so strict and they've been even you know stricter since the 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 holidays and then finally I think we only have you know we've had zero test positive I believe Drew Holiday is in the health and safety protocols uh, right right now uh, but to me I mean at least in the last week two weeks that there's been very little postponements so whatever right. they're doing is working. So, I, I think when they when they went through that one stretch where they had some problems, the holiday, that's what it was, right? And they told some some people like, okay, we got to clamp down even more. We're gonna we're gonna limit even more who can visit you when you're on the road, and you're not gonna even go to a restaurant. Like everything is, you stay in your hotel room. I think yep. once they got to that point, they've gotten through the holidays that they've definitely seen um, it reflected in in how many positive tests and you know how many people have had to go in. You know. Just safety and protocol measures. Right. Right. All right, Brian, lightning round before we get out of here. Uh, Derek Rose traded to Knicks. Yay or nay? Yay. Him and uh, Tibbs are uh, peanut butter and jelly, man. They work great together. See, for me, it's nay because I thought at least that it would take away playing time from Emmanuel quickly because they also have Alfred Payton. They have Alec Burks. They have, you know, Reggie Bullock, they have RJ Barrett. There's a lot, a lot of names that you have to find playing time for. But in the debut that Rose had with the Knicks, he was playing alongside Emmanuel quickly. So at least, the very least, it looks like Tibbs is going to continue to play his rising rookie, which he should. Yes. I because mean, there should be no reason that Emmanuel quickly doesn't play. Derek Rose is another locker room guy. He understands Tibbs' season or Tibbs' system. coaching and system. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, so I, I think that's why it's a good fit there. I'm, I was surprised, though, because I thought Derrick Rose would get traded, but I didn't see the Knicks as a possibility when I should have because of the Tibbs connection. Right. Kyle Lowry. Uh, his name's been floating around in trade rumors. I believe it was a Bleacher Report. Report. <laughs> Say that twice. Uh, two times fast. Uh, don't think he's going anywhere. Yay or nay? Yay. I don't think he's going anywhere either. I mean. I understand he's in the last year of his contract with the Raptors, and I don't know what's going to happen going forward. But, you know, to hear his name possibly floated when there's some people in Toronto who believe that he is their most beloved star that they've had there for the last decade, and maybe they should build a statue outside the building for him. So, um, 
it's a tough situation because the team is about a 500 team or just below it this year. It's a little bit of a rebuild. Could you get something for Kyle Lowry? Absolutely. You could, I think you could get a lot. Um, there's a lot of teams I think that would love to have a Kyle Lowry. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know if they really want to go through that. I think they would just rather keep him. And um, he, he just means too much to the franchise. Don't look now, but those Raptors, eighth place in the East, 11 and 13, starting to find it. Pascal Siakam getting back to being Spicy P. Big time plays from Freddie Van Vliet. Had a 50-something point game last week. He's been really, really hitting his stride. Look out, guys. Told you not to bury him. Yay or nay, J.J. Redick, part of the Pelicans in two weeks. In two weeks, yes. Uh, before the trade deadline, no. Okay. Playing, and where's he going? Um, I don't think he's going to be traded. I think that he is going to be bought out. And I think he will end up with... Uh, I was going to say Philly. Hey, Philly. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think he'll end up in Philly. I think Philly, I think... Um, I think Utah would be an okay fit. I think Milwaukee would be an excellent fit. It would. It just, I think the Utah thing, I, de- I think it depends on where he, who is interested in him. And if it's not teams that are close to his home up in the Northeast, then I think he would definitely open his uh, mind to teams out West. Which is why, yeah, I was going to say, Philly would, would fit that bill the most. I, you know, it's funny because as much as people want to talk about not the net. Not the net. I, he, he's Dude, not. They I, have shooters. They have shooters. Not a fit there. No, he's I not a fit at all. Stop. Like, there's fit. no reason. Maybe the Knicks. The Knicks would be okay. You know, an okay what, what, fit. What would he get out of that, though? Exactly. There's nothing. He, he wouldn't get anything out of it. He wants to contend. Can I throw one at you? Go ahead. Yay or nay? The Orlando Magic, before the trade deadline, will trade Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon. Uh, a name that's been out there for the last two or three seasons. I, I have personally thought that they have needed to do that. But I don't think it's going to happen. So, nay. I think they're just going to stay the course. They're going to wait for Jonathan Isaac to get healthy. They want to see this core together. They want to see it through. I know that things are very, very dire right now. The good news is they just got Al Farouk Aminu back. I, I, we hey. haven't seen him play in like a year. Hey. I love him. I love Chief, by the way. He's, he's a good dude. Um, he's a good dude. But if, for me, with the magic right now, I just think you just keep on developing Cole Anthony. You know, uh, y- you do what you can with, with what you have. You know, maybe, maybe if it gets that bad, just throw Mo Bamba out there. Like, see what he can do, man. Like, Vooch, you know what you're going to get from Vooch every night. Vooch, Vooch is, is a double-double machine. Yeah. He's a shooter. He should... Honestly, you know, that should be someone that a contender looks at. But, nah, yeah, yeah, that, I'm, I'm going to go with Nay there on, on Aaron Gordon. I agree. Uh, He's been out there forever. He's a guy I thought they should trade, but they, they refused to. Can I give you one more? Yeah, go ahead. Should the Sacramento Kings and will the Sacramento Kings trade Buddy Heald before the trade deadline? Uh, nay. Nay. Because He's still such a good shooter. And he's when he buys in, and it looks like over this stretch that he has, I feel like he's a fit there. I think 
Uh, it's so weird because they've yanked him out of the, 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 you know, in and out of the starting lineup in the past before he started every game this year. But I feel like he has a lot to offer when he's controlling the ball. Better chance of the Kings uh, making a trade, moving Buddy Heald or moving Marvin Bagley. Oh, the second one, of course. Second one. Um, do, you, do, you I, think I, it's, do you think there's a good chance that happens? I don't think it's imminent. I don't think that they're trying to break anything that's not, you know, you know fix anything that's not broken right now. I'll tell you the guy that role. they should trade on that team. And I think somebody that some a contender would be interested in coming off the bench. Bielitsa. Okay. Guy who can stretch the floor, hit the three. I exactly. Can dig it. Not making huge money. He's really not playing huge minutes of them, you know? So um, he's a guy I could see a team is making kind of an under the radar move for. Okay. Um, yay or nay, Brandon Ingram is an all-star. Yay. Okay. That would be a sick, that would be a second year in a row, by the way. He did. I think he is. I mean, can we just talk about how consistent this guy is with his numbers? <laughs> he's, I mean, once he's got out of LA and he's been able to grow, um, he's been so much better. I, I still think, he was nickel and diming the hell out of uh, of uh, uh, the Rockets last night, man. I don't know. I just saw him hitting these fifteen footers, just sidestep, splash, sidestep, splash. The confidence level in his game is something different right now, and it's funny because you know when we sit here and we talk about an All Star game, like which teams are going to get All Stars and how many, and people look at well the Pelicans the way they play, they can only have one. So is it going to be Brandon Ingram or is it going to be Zion Williamson? And if I had to choose between the two of them, I mean, I might say Ingram. Okay. Just, be, just because of the consistency level. I mean, with Zion, you, he can dominate probably in a bigger way. And obviously it's flashier with what he does on the court. But like Ingram is just, he's so smooth and so consistent. He is. He really is. And I, I like um, what I was saying at the beginning of the, the podcast, uh, you know, this is a team that we thought was dead in the water, and now they're one game under 500. <laughs> like, they, they say, somehow just kind of dug themselves out of that grave that we put them in, and they've won four in a row. Everybody so, put them in that grave. I mean, I, they, they're just constructed kind of in a weird way. It was, it, it started, it started too when those Lonzo Ball trade rumors came out, and Lonzo's been playing ball, man. He is, and no pun intended, he has been shooting that thing. He has been shooting the three well. He hasn't, you know, been like super, super flashy when it comes to like, you know, driving the basketball and stuff. But it's honestly like almost a a, a three and D type of deal. And he's been like, uh, you know, playmaker, obviously. But it, it's been a little bit of different side of his game, I feel. Would you be surprised, though, if they did move him before the deadline? If they did? Yes. No, I wouldn't. Me neither. Um, that that would be calling uh, calling that selling high. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's been so many different rumors linking him to Chicago. Yeah, and and I feel like the same could be said for you know someone like Eric Bledsoe. Could be said for a Stephen Adams. You know, like it. That, that there's nothing you know for sure on that team, but I'm saying as a collective unit that they've been better. Who would, want a, for them. who would want Adams at that money, though, considering he just signed a pretty big number extension? I don't know. Go get him, Brooklyn. 
I'm gonna keep gonna keep taking it back to that. Last yay or nay for you, Brian. Hmm. Jimmy Butler will win an Oscar at some point in his life. Will win an Oscar? Will win an Oscar. For what he does on the basketball court? Did you see what happened on Tuesday? <laughs> Did you see what happened on Tuesday? Oh my God. If that wasn't the best gift that was born, this dude, he goes, you know what he said he drew inspiration from? What's that? Watching Mark Wahlberg movies. <laughs> That's why he said, you know, by the way, it was a foul that the Knicks committed against the Heat there, but he embellished it so much. It looked like he was down. It looked like, you know, Jimmy got hurt again. And you just see this dude, the camera's above him. He's, he's laying on the floor. He's like this. And then he moves his fist. Here's one eye open, looks around. And then he starts acting up again. <laughs> this dude's so fun. It better I, be, I, yeah, I was going to say his performance better be better than uh, Spencer Confidential, which was a hideous movie that Wahlberg made. and was on Netflix last year. Oh, no. Mark's out of Netflix. I'm thinking the other guy's Mark Wahlberg. That's, no, that's Wal- the kind of Mark Wahlberg I like. No, you, you're thinking of Wahlberg, but he did a movie that was a Netflix movie last year. I mean, hey, there's, there's big money going to Netflix movies, and uh, this movie was hideous. <laughs> hideous. I, I like the way you described that. Uh, but uh, Jimmy, his heat are on the rise again, getting a little bit hotter. They've won three in a row, and they've won four out of their last six. So getting healthier. About time. Tyler Hero started to play know? a little bit better. Exactly. He made a huge jumper uh, off the catch last night to basically ice that game. So look out. You know, they're going to be starting coming on the rise now. And all those teams we were talking about being in the playoffs that are starting to fall, 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 like Cleveland, like, you know, even in Chicago, even New York to a degree, uh, starting to come back down to a little bit of a reality. And uh, the teams like Charlotte and Atlanta are starting to boost back up. That's going to do it for us today, though, here on Keeping It 94. Would like to remind you to go to basketballnews.com. We have 11 other great podcasts for you to listen to in addition to Keeping It 94. Make sure to check those out. Subscribe, rate, comment. Do the same for us, please. Uh, Speaking of which, on those podcasts, we've had some really good guests. Neat and Unfiltered, we've got Kenyon Martin and Jada Kiss together. How about that, Brian? That's that's one hell of a combo that, that, that those two can bring to the table. James Posey, uh, he just had Charles Oakley on his podcast. So old school fans, you know you're going to want to listen to that one. The rematch with the Tom Thomas, he just had Matt Barnes on. Really interesting conversations that they had. Uh, the Dunker Spot, always mentioned this one, Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. If you like defense, go listen to their last podcast because <laughs> that's all they talked about. And I don't know how you could talk about defense for an hour and a half, but somehow they did it. And of course, you got us uh, here at Keeping 94. We're always here for you. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to them. Once again, please subscribe, rate, leave a comment. Tell me and Brian how much you love us. Or tell us how much you hate, you hate us. Follow us on Twitter, at Spin Davies and at Brian Fritz. We're on Instagram as well, at Spin Davies, at It's Brian Fritz. And with that said, don't have anything left. So we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.